glad you're here this morning. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. If you're joining us by broadcast, we're actually broadcasting now on Facebook Live as well. Amen. Almost 200, 250 people from all over the world are joining us. We're glad that you are here as a part of our uh, extended campus. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to notice there, there's this joy that is set before him. And because of that, three things. He endured the cross, he despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to talk to you this morning about besetting joy. Amen. We're talking about joy this month. And I want to talk to you about besetting joy. Would you say that with us today? Besetting joy. God bless you. You may be seated and thank you for standing. The word besetting uh, literally means habitually attacking, harassing, or pressing upon. Normally, the word besetting is associated with sin. But I would like to focus today on how the besetting nature of constant trials and tribulation can produce great joy. And I know those things seem like they should not go together. Besetting joy is that kind of joy that would not appear to bring you joy, but does bring you joy. There are certain things that everybody can be happy about. But there's something about joy that causes you to rejoice in things that would not appear to be uh, instances that are worthy of joy. But there are things that are in your path of life that would appear to bring you hurt and heartache, but instead they bring joy and gladness. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But before we get into it, let me also say that there are some things that may appear to bring you joy, but instead bring you a trial, a great tribulation. I heard of a man that was struggling to buy his wife a gift, and she tried to help him by giving him a hint. She said, I want something that goes from zero to 180 in three seconds. And he smiled and said, I got it, and she smiled thinking that he got it. There was a mix-up in communication because he ended up buying her a scale. And that's when great tribulation began. I read about another man that bought his mother-in-law a cemetery plot for Christmas. She was not very happy about that. So the next year, he didn't buy her anything. And when she complained... To her son-in-law, he said, well, you still haven't used the gift that I bought you last year. <laughs> Great trial came after that. <laughs> so while there are some things that would appear to bring you joy, but, but bring you great trials, we also know from the Word of God that the opposite is also true. Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. And this is something that's curious to me because when you look at the life of Jesus, 
a, a man who was all God and yet all man, and we understood this was the God of glory, robing himself in flesh. It says that this was a joy that was set before him. Now, if you were on earth and you knew that you were only going to be here 33 years and there was going to be a uh, horrible, excruciatingly painful crucifixion of death, it would be difficult to see this as a joy that was set before you. But yet, Jesus, understanding what his destiny, what his purpose, what his calling was, says that this was a joy that was set before him. Now, I want to talk for just a moment on the word set because it was established. It was a destiny. When Jesus was feeling low, there was this set joy that was there to remind him of his call. This is something that I think is one of the great benefits of serving God is that when we live in a world where there's a lot of uncertainties and there's a lot of, of things that are uh, non-absolutes, it's important to understand that God has some things in our future that are set. God's going to have a church. God's going to have a people. If you and I don't praise Him, the very rocks will cry out. The graves will cry out. But God is going to have a people on this earth that praise Him. That is a set joy. I figured I might as well be a part of it. You might as well be a part of it. You might as well wake up every day and say, This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You say, but old pastor, I got a lot of things happening. I, I'm struggling. I got this going on in my job, and I got this going on in the family, and I got everything coming against me in my neighborhood, and I got troubles and trials on every side. But you know what? If you back up and say, but God is still on the throne, and though the enemy comes in like a flood, there's also a besetting joy that keeps coming also and keeps reminding me, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Joy is warring for us also. And so while Jesus was feeling low, no doubt, and his ministry was not certainly not a glamorous ministry, but... It was there to remind him constantly of his calling. You can even hear it in his words as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. We read about it in Mark chapter 14 and verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. In other words, this is the humanity of him crying out. This was on the eve of his crucifixion. He knew what was coming. It wasn't in doubt. It was set. It was established. And this, this humanity inside of him is, is saying, take this cup from me, this suffering this that I know is coming. I, I would like to be removed from it. This is the flesh that's crying out. And yet, there's this one word that we find in Mark 14, 36. Nevertheless. Everybody say that. Nevertheless. Not what I will, but what thou wilt. That's that besetting joy that comes at him once again and reminds him, this is only temporary, but there is something that's permanent. Whenever you go to the cross and your blood is shed, from that point forward, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, 
can ask God for forgiveness of sin and the price has already been paid. You don't have to bring it to the high priest. You don't have to drag in some sort of an oxen or goat. You don't have to bring a lamb or something from the farm and bring it here and shed its blood on this altar. It's already been done. And so he had to look forward and see that this was a besetting joy. This was a joy that was constantly reminding him of his mission, of his purpose. And he said, nevertheless, not what I will. But what thou wilt. There's something about it, folks. You can have all kind of stuff going wrong. But if you can get into the word of God, you'll find one of those neverthelesses. Lord, I'm going through this. And I don't understand why I've got this happening. And this is no time for the car to break down. You know, this is no time to start having chest pains. This is no time to be in trouble. This is no time. And there's, all, there's never a good time for trouble. Nobody ever gets up and say, you know what, God, everything's going great. If you want to just throw some trials and troubles at me, they, everything's going, I can handle it. Nobody thinks like that. There's never a good time for things to go wrong. But when everything goes wrong, it's a good time to remember that these are temporary. Hallelujah. There's a nevertheless. Lord, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Hallelujah. I know that there's a joy out in front of me. And one day I'm going to make heaven my home. I'm going to come through this. But like the Bible said, it came to pass. I don't know what's come in your life. But I'm here to tell you, it will pass. It will come, but it will pass. And when it does, God's still going to be on the throne. You're still going to be in the palm of his hand. There's a besetting joy for all of us. Now, let me look at these three things and share this with you in the few moments that I have with you this morning. Let's look at how the Lord handled this. First of all, it says that he endured. I think that's the first part to getting your arms around this kind of besetting joy. It said he endured the cross. I see that as being uh, a form of tolerating things that come into your life that are not necessarily joyful on the surface. There's some things you just, you tolerate. The first thing about this besetting joy is that it gives you the strength to endure, to just tolerate. This is what Paul had to understand when he prayed. We're not exactly sure what it is. I believe it was the enemy that kept tormenting him with his past. But I, I, I recognize that Paul prayed this prayer and refers to it in the Word of God on more than one occasion that there was this thorn that was in his flesh. There was something that tormented him. And he prayed that it would be removed. The Bible talks about how he prayed more than once that it would be removed. And he prayed and prayed. And the Lord just said unto him, My grace is sufficient. I'm not going to remove it. I'm just going to give you the strength to endure it. There's some of you that would like to have some people removed from your life. <laughs> Boy, if, I, if the company would just fire that guy I got to work next to, things would be a lot better. But you know, he don't get fired, he gets promoted. You, you wish the Lord would go ahead and take care of some of them situations in your life and 
go ahead and help that person move on down the road, but they seem like they just close it, like they got a noose around your neck. And you said, I don't know if I can handle this any longer. Let me tell you something right now. God will give you the strength to endure. He'll give you that that the grace, as it were, that allow you to say, you know what? I don't understand why this is going on and why this person is still around or whatever the situation is. But I've come to tell you, I've learned that there's a joy, hallelujah, in just saying, God, it's all in your hands. I can endure. I can tolerate. I can handle the pressure without cracking up. I'm going to tell you what, folks. There's a joy in that. This thing's not going to beat me, whatever it may be. This thing's not going to destroy me. This is not the hill that I'm going to die on. Sometimes you can have stuff coming at you on every side. And the miracle that you'll get is just the strength to continue. To put one foot in front of the other. Some of you say, well, I don't feel very victorious today, Pastor, because I've had a rough week. But you know what? You are victorious because you made it through it and you're in the house of God today. You still got a praise in your mouth. That's a besetting joy. You still got a hope that's in your heart. Hallelujah. You still got a desire to praise Him and to magnify God and you recognize that tomorrow's going to be better than yesterday and that the Lord has got your back. He's the wind beneath your wings and everything's going to be all right. You're enduring, so you're victorious. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Sometimes we think of victory as being just the final act, the culmination, but sometimes the victory is the strength to continue, to endure. Listen to what Job said in Job 41, 22. In his neck, in his neck remaineth strength, and sorrow is turned into joy before him. I want you to focus on that word remaineth. Strength remaineth in his neck. I mean, that neck, you know, the Bible talked about the children of Israel having a stiff neck. There's something about people can just set their face, their neck. You can see when they get real determined, veins will pop out of people's necks. Have y'all ever seen that before? Well, I never, and they got that neck just, they just making up their mind. In his neck remaineth strength. I, I don't feel like I'm overcoming, but I've got a strong neck. I'm still determined to make it. I'm still in the house of God, devil. Tried to knock me out this week, but here I am. Still got a song in my heart. Still got strength in my neck. <laughs> I'm not going to just lay down and die. Amen. I'm going to rise up. There's something about that. When you get a determination to say, you know what? I'm going to endure this thing. I'm going to outlive it. I'm going to outworship it. I'm going to glorify God. There's something about it. When you get that, you just got strength in your neck. It says that your sorrow is turned into joy before him. You're not going to just get all willy head and lay down and die and just say, I can't believe it. Shrivel up in the corner and feel sorry for yourself. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let's go to the house of God. Hallelujah. And sorrow is turned into joy. That thing that seems to have your best interests turned against you is now becoming joy because you remaineth. You remaineth. 
Sorrow becomes joy if I can just remain, if I can just endure, if I can just stand my ground. Let me tell you something, folks. Nowadays, if you're going to stand for righteousness, you're going to have friction. You're going to have opposition. But the sorrow will become joy. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, sin is besetting. Yes, sin is constant. Yes, sin is, is, is a temptation that comes against all of us, and it's on a daily basis. But there is also, if I can say it this way, this constant harassment of the joy of the Lord. <laughs> that when you want to throw in the towel, you just can't hardly do it because there's this voice, God is good. God's on your side. It's that besetting joy. I really want to be in a bad mood today, but I can't be. Because there's this besetting joy. That just keeps reminding me of where I used to be before God saved me. I want to be discouraged. I really want to have a pity party and I'm trying to get others to help me. Feel bad about the situation I'm in. But every time I want to suck the proverbial thumb and hide in a corner and throw in the towel. I'm reminded of the goodness of God. Oh, it's that be saying joy that won't leave me alone. I'm wanting to have a frown, but instead I got a smile. I'm wanting to be discouraged and cry, but instead I'm rejoicing in the house of God. I'm wanting to be depressed and despondent, but instead, hallelujah, when I think of what all God's done for me, there's this besetting joy that says you can make it. I've come to tell somebody today, you can make it. If God be for you, who can be against you? A besetting joy. Amen. That's what he did. He endured. Sometimes you got to just endure, folks. You got to just hang in there. Now, I'm not a runner, but they tell me that if you run, you'll come up against the wall. Now, this wall supposedly of some, is something that you hit where your body and mind tells you you can't go any further. You get a lot of pain in your side. I hit the wall going down to the mailbox and back. But some people can run for miles and then they hit the wall. I read one time about Chuck Yeager when he was breaking the sound barrier and how he didn't want to be pulled from his time. He was riding a horse and he broke his arm right before he was supposed to ride in this X1 that they were going to drop and shoot off and had to go more than 700 miles an hour to break the sound barrier. And he, he was an old tough codger boy from West Virginia, an unbelievable pilot, and he didn't want to be pulled from it. So he didn't tell him that he'd broke his arm. The only problem is when they put you down on that plane, it was under the belly of another larger plane. And uh, you had to reach over there and you had to take the hatch and you had to bring down and slam it shut. But his left arm was broke when he was going to break the sound barrier. But he wouldn't tell him, so he rigged up a stick, part of a broomstick, and put it with him. They said, what are you bringing that in the plane for? And he said, it's just something I need. He got it over there in his right hand. And they put him down in the plane. Now they're flying in the air while this is going on. And they drop him down the belly of the bigger plane and put him down in there. And he takes that stick and goes over there and slams the door shut. He's like, oh, I need one arm to break the sound barrier. But nobody knew what would happen when you'd break the sound barrier. So, boy, he's hanging on with one hand. And he gets up 500, 600, 650, 670, 690 miles an hour. 
And boy, before he gets ready to go through that sound barrier, he's buffeting it. That plane is bouncing back and forth. They didn't know what would happen. They thought maybe the thing would explode. Here he is with one broke arm on the left side, and on his right arm, he's hanging on to that thing as, as much as he can. And he's like, eh, it's going to go any moment. 700, 710. Boy, he broke through that sound barrier, and he said, it was smooth as glass. He's like, whoa. He didn't know if he was dead or alive. I'm going to tell you what, some of you are right on the verge of your breakthrough. And you got a lot of things that's buffeting you. But I've come to tell you, just hang on. If you've only got one arm, hang on. Woo, hallelujah. There's still some joy that's set before you. There's still a calling on your life. There's still an anointing. There's still a God that's going to reward you. If you're running and they say you hit that wall, you got to push through it. They say if you push through it, the pain goes away. And you can just keep running then. Every one of us spiritually are going to hit the wall sometimes. What are we going to do? I say today, God will give us the strength to push through. There's smooth sailing on the other side. And you know what? Sometimes we have to be reminded of that more than once. Well, let's look at the second thing that happened. Second thing that happened when we look at this is that he not only endured the cross, but then the second part is despising the shame. Oh, hallelujah. I want to talk about that a little bit today, despising the shame, because I think that's determination. If the endurance is the tolerating part, just having the strength to get through it, determination is that you're not going to allow this thing to define who you are. There's a determination. I read the other day about this guy, uh, Usain Bolt. Have you ever heard of this guy from Jamaica? Ooh, all my Jamaicans, I finally woke them all up this morning. <laughs> they claim that Usain Bolt is the fastest man alive. He won the gold medal in 2016 in Rio de Janeiro by running the 100-meter race. And he don't just win. He wins by like a long shot. And it wasn't just 2016. He won the gold in 2012, and he won the gold in the same race in 2008. He's won seven gold medals. I didn't know much about Usain Bolt. I just knew that you wouldn't want to be in a foot race with him. But I, I got to reading about him recently, and it says that Despite the mainstream media's constant dismissal of his Christian faith, Bolt defied all odds and reached heights that most athletes will never see, all by the grace of God. And he went on to say that Bolt won the hearts of every American because at the 2012 Summer Olympics, he paused in the middle of an interview to honor the U.S. US national anthem as it was being played. He politely interrupted the reporter that was interviewing him and he stood at attention and, and saluted and acknowledged the U.S. anthem that was being played and showed the world what a class act looks like. We need more athletes like that, I'd say, in, a, in America. But I started reading about him, and it, it said even though he's known for his extraordinary speed and joyous facial expressions while competing, you don't have to look hard to discover where the joy comes from. They said, Bolt is outspoken about his faith in Jesus Christ. 
They went on, they started telling other examples of this in this article I was read about how the, the BBC, which is, you know, a news uh, agency over in uh, England, that there, there, would, there would be this interview with him and they would literally take out all the parts where he talks about his faith in Jesus Christ. Said his faith in Jesus Christ has always played a prominent role in his life and success. His parents, Wellesley and Jennifer Bolt, instilled in him a devout Christian faith. He prays before every race, immediately praises God when he's finished, and his strong Christian upbringing, it equipped him with the desired discipline and the dedication to become an Olympic legend that he is today. But they said that despite his legendary success, Bolt stays true to his humble roots. He was born on August 21st, 1986 in Sherwood, Content, a small town in Trelawney, Jamaica. The Bolt family's faith was put to the test. Now watch this, folks. I didn't know about this until recently. When doctors realized that he was born with scoliosis, a condition of the spine where it curves from side to side. Now that got me interested because I was born with scoliosis. But he can run and I can't run, so I'm not sure what happened there. When I was just a young man at 14 years old, they found out the bottom part of my spine curved at a 64 degree angle and the top part curved at a 56 degree angle. And they said, you got to be operated on it. We got to fuse 17 of your vertebrae with two steel Harrington rods and most likely those rods will come loose. I said, well, that don't sound very good. It's not something you want to hear when you're 14 years old. They say, well, if you don't do this, you'll be in a wheelchair by the time you're 25 years old and, and your spine will curve all into your lungs and it'll eventually take out your lungs and your heart. And they said, you still got it. We've measured your hand. They x-ray everything. They can tell you still have a lot of growth left. I was, I was a little less than five feet tall at the time. They said, you, you, the more you grow and the curves get wider and you, you've got to, you've got you to have the surgery. We had all these doctors talk to my parents. They told my parents, if you don't have the surgery, you're the worst parents ever. Pretty much, didn't they? And we went around to all these different orthopedic surgeons in Orlando, and they said, you've got to have it. And we prayed and decided not to have the surgery. And instead, they put me in a brace. They said, but well, the brace won't help you any because all that does is keep them from getting worse, but it won't correct the spine any. Well, they had me in a brace for three years. I wore that crazy thing 23 hours a day. And when I got out of the brace, I was up at Mayo Clinic. I was in Bible school in St. Paul at the time. They took me to Mayo Clinic. They had all these little Japanese doctors look at me, make notes, bring in more doctors. They all made notes, made notes, made notes. Finally, I said, what's going on? They said, sir, we have no medical explanation. But your curves have gone down to the 30s, and that's never, ever happened before. <laughs> Hallelujah. They, I said, do I have to wear that brace anymore? They said, no, you don't have to wear the brace anymore. You're good. Woo, hallelujah. 17, 18 years old. People say, why are you so crazy, pastor? Why do you go bungee jumping? Why do you go parachute? Why do you go hang glide? Strapped to a guy in Rio de Janeiro named Spider-Man. I jumped off a 3,000-foot cliff and floated down to Copacabana Beach. Why do you do such crazy things? I even tried to wrestle a bear in the Smoky Mountains. My dad went up there and pulled me out of the cage. Why do you do such things? Because it's a testimony every time that God is good. They told me I'd be in a wheelchair, but instead I'm worshiping God and enjoying life. You know why? There's a joy that is set before us.
They told Usain Bolt he wouldn't even walk, and he's the fastest man running. Fastest man in the world. They said his scoliosis was so bad, they said the condition has led to a series of injuries in his career, but Bolt continues to turn tragedy into triumph. My wife is reading a book uh, called Grit, and it's about uh, these uh, students that they're studying. This lady is a psychologist that's done all the studying. They're trying to figure out what makes kids successful and what makes kids not successful. It's not money. It's not necessarily natural ability. It's not talent. They've come to the conclusion that the defining thing that differentiates between people that are successful and people that are not successful is grit. A determination that this thing's not going to define me. I'm going to rise above it. They studied Steve Young, the great NFL quarterback who went on and got his law degree and now he's a sports uh, analyst and all that and lives out in Utah. But Steve Young was wanting to play football when he was just a boy and he'd get out there and play football and he was terrible. They'd cut him and cut him and he'd just keep coming back and keep coming back and, and they said, your arm's too weak and you don't make right decisions, it's not accurate enough. And he went home. He's just a young boy. He went home and he rigged up this device in his backyard that was like a band. And it was difficult for his arm to come forward. This band would pull it back. And a thousand times a day, he set up this big old inner tube thing and he would throw the ball through that inner tube and he creased the strength of his arm and that band would jerk it back and band would jerk and he'd throw it again he'd throw it and he'd back up a little more he'd throw it again and that band a thousand times a day the next year when he tried out for football he could throw the ball further and harder and straighter than anybody else on the team you know why because he realized that the resistance was going to strengthen him sometimes you just go through things and it's resistance but God is strengthening you hallelujah he's got something mighty prepared for you. You may be buffeting right now. You may be resisting, but there's a God, hallelujah, that if you can just be determined to despise the shame and embrace the besetting joy, I'm going to make it. I'm going to come through this thing and I'm going to be stronger than I was before. Oh, sometimes you got to set your face like a flint and you got to make up in your mind. This thing's not going to destroy me. I shall rise again. I'm going to get back up again and I'm going to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that in me is. I'm going to keep on worshiping God. You got to despise the shame. You got to make up in your mind. I got to hurry. Then it says he was set down. To me, I see this as the triumph, the right hand of God. Now, you got to understand, this is not talking about a physical hand. It's not like God's got this great big hand up there, and Jesus came and sat on it. You know, you've heard it said, a right-hand man, the right hand of power, refers to a position of honor and strength. And then he was set down. In other words, when he came through Calvary, he was set down the right hand of God, meaning that the authority... The power of coming through the crucifixion and being a resurrected Savior was that now he became the first fruits for all of us. So that, ladies and gentlemen, the grave is not the final chapter for any one of us. I want to say to the Hardison family who lost their son, the grave is not the final chapter. There's a God, hallelujah, that's going to have the final say. That's why he told them all, he just sleepeth. He was saying that even in Christ, death is temporary. 
He's going to come down. That's why when they were stoning Stephen, they said they saw his face shining. He was also up there at the right hand of God. In other words, he was in that position of power and authority because the grave doesn't have the final say. If I can understand that this joy is going to extend even beyond this life. And even when this breath is gone, there's still a joy that's in my soul. That one day the trump of God is going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Even the grave can't eliminate the setting joy. Sit down. That's a triumph. I think you ought to make up in your mind every day that you're going to have places and points of celebration of God's victory. It's so easy to skate past the things that God does for us, miracles that he does on a daily basis, victories that he gives us on a regular basis. But sometimes you've got to back up and you've got to say, help me to remember, Lord. Help me to celebrate. Help me to triumph over this that you have done for me. I don't want to forget it. The fact that Jesus Christ has become that sin for all of us. It's a point of celebration. I want to introduce you by video to a young girl. Her name is Emma, and she's from the state of Texas. She's only 10 years old, and at a very young age, she lost one of her legs. Something really special happened to her recently. They captured it on video, and I want to show it to you this morning. This is her younger sister. Turn it up loud. What do you say to the people? Thank you. Tell them thank you. Thank you for making us all like me. (laughs) The American Girl Company. I've always thought the money that we spend on American Girl dolls that we buy Sophia are way overpriced, but when I saw what the American Girl Company did for that girl, 
I thought, how awesome. They made a little doll with a prosthetic leg. They designed that little doll to look just like her with a prosthetic leg and wrote a letter to her. Ladies and gentlemen, the joy that God gives us that is persistent is the reminder that he would become flesh so that we could become free. He was without sin, but he took on sin. He became like us. He had to robe himself in flesh, as it were. He had to take on the frailties of the flesh. But he did it. He took on our weaknesses. He became like us. That's the joy of Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. That's the besetting joy that reminds us. And I'm not defined by my mistakes and my weaknesses. But there's a God, hallelujah, that has come to us. This is what Bethlehem is all about. This is what Christmas is all about. It's to remind us that God robed himself in flesh. And no matter what you and I may go through, there is this besetting joy that reminds us that the God of glory became one of us. Took on flesh so we could take on spirit. Why the Holy Ghost wasn't given until after he was ascended and gone back into heaven. He took on flesh so that we could take on the Holy Spirit. He became like us so we could become like him. How do we become like him? For the joy that is set before us. Spising the shame. Enduring the cross. And one day, set down on the right hand of God. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I feel triumph in the Holy Ghost today. There's a God, hallelujah, who's got something so very special for each and every one of you. I believe all that come to the Lord, come to the Lord because they recognize the intrinsic value in being a servant of Jesus Christ. That it's not just going through the motions, it's not just business as usual. But this is something that dramatically, supernaturally changes all of us from the inside. I wonder if we would all bow our heads this morning. Say, Pastor, I, I know what you're saying is true, but you don't know what I've gone through. I, I just want to come to remind somebody here this morning. Jesus Christ has some besetting joy. Something that is set in motion already. There's been times that even you've tried to give up, but there's something that just keeps pulling you back to an altar. Because God hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on yourself. If God hasn't given up on you, don't give up on yourself. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word that comes alive in our hearts and minds. I thank you for your spirit that draws us and calls us. Thank you, Lord, for the plan of salvation that you've given each and every one of us that if we would repent of our sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus. You would fill us with your spirit. We would also have that resurrected hope of life living inside of us. That well of living water springing up on the inside. I thank you, Lord, that that spirit is still drawing us and calling us. And, and that, Lord, you, you keep prompting us. Even sometimes it's uncomfortable. But, Lord, you're still there pulling us and drawing us and reminding us. 
We just come to say thank you, Lord. And we acknowledge that by responding to your word today. I'll not resist anymore, Lord. I'll come to you. I'll respond in the name of Jesus. I wonder how many of you feel the Lord pulling you and calling you right now. I wonder if you would just step out from where you're standing. Would you come down to this altar? Would you lift your hands and would you pray a simple prayer and say, Lord, I'm here. I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to figure all this out, but I'm just going to acknowledge the fact today that you're here, Lord, and you want to heal every hurt. You want to take care of every pain, every discomfort. Come on, that's it. Beautiful. People are coming from all. There's room at the altar for you. This is your altar. This is a place for you to come today. This is where you meet that God that took on flesh. Hallelujah. You can come down here today. You can lift up hands and you can say, Lord, forgive me of every sin. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, there's a God that will fill you with His Spirit right now today. Do you believe that? Come on, why don't you take your neighbor by the hand right now. Let's come down to this altar. Let's come down and lift up our voices and lift up our hands and say, God, here I am in all of my frailties and all of my mistakes. I bring them before you today, Lord. I'm asking you, Lord, to heal me. Touch me, Lord. Come on, God will do it. The spirit that's within you, the Lord will touch you. In the name of Jesus, yes, Lord. Oh, I bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. We bless you, Lord. That's it. God's going to restore your joy.